This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have a special guest, Michael Zuber. Michael is the author of the book, One Rental at a Time, where he shares how getting just four rental properties can change your life. He's also the host of the YouTube channel, One Rental at a Time, where he produces daily videos and interviews, giving his audience valuable information about financial freedom through real estate investments. He'll be sharing his story on how he got into multifamily investments in Fresno and how he was able to earn back 20 years of his life by investing in out-of-the-area properties. Enjoy. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and kind of walk us through what are you doing now. Uh, thank you for this, uh, Sean. My name is Michael Zuber. Uh, I am a real estate investor. Uh, I've been a real estate investor for the better part of 16 years now. Uh, I live in the Silicon Valley, which means I work in technology, or at least I used to work in technology. Uh, I am lucky enough to have built a rental portfolio over the last 16 years or so that allowed me to leave the workforce uh, last February. So I've been out 14 or 15 months now and uh, will never go back. Uh, so now I spend my time managing my portfolio, uh, occasionally picking up a flip or two, uh, but ultimately uh, I spend the majority of my time giving back, uh, trying to help busy professionals see that, yes, they can invest in real estate as a side hustle and um, really change their financial future. Even if they don't want to retire or they don't think they can, I believe if everybody just got to four rental properties, their you know their financial future would be vastly improved. So, uh, you know, I spend my time trying to get people thinking about you know what, let's just get to four, and uh, you know after that we'll see we'll see what's next. Awesome. Where are you usually investing in? Uh, so I, I that's a great question. So I live in Mountain View, California, again the Silicon Valley, but I've only ever invested in Fresno, California which is the Central Valley. It's about two and a half hours one way. So it's a five hour round trip if I want to uh, to go look at properties or anything, which means I've had a property manager since day one, uh, which is obviously a key element for busy professionals because we may have money and we may be able to find deals, but we don't have time. So um, you know, finding and, and securing good property management is a key part of this business. So uh, that's, what I, that's what I do. I have looked out of state. Uh, but I'm a control freak and I like to be able to drive and, and go see my property. So uh, I invest in Fresno, California. And how many do you have at the moment? I have just about 175 units or rental doors, wow. which is a mix of houses and apartment buildings. Uh, I have about 110 doors inside apartments. The largest we own are 18. Uh, we have an 18 unit building, uh, you know, some 13s, lots of 10s, you know, a couple of sevens, fives. 18 is big for us. Uh, we're not a part of any syndication. So this is all, you know, just in my wife and I's name or uh, LLCs and entities that we have. Um, so it's all ours. We don't, uh, you know, we don't have to split it with any partners or anything. That's very impressive. You know, getting to 175 without syndicating, it must have taken some time. Do you want to talk about your story and how you got started? Why Fresno and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, so it's funny. I wrote uh, I wrote a book called One Rental at a Time, which was the first thing I did after I retired uh, that documents this story. 
Uh, I actually pulled out four different phases that we can just highlight quickly. The first was when we started, which was actually a seller's market, much like we've been in the last couple of years. Uh, we went from zero units to seven or eight uh, at the peak of the market, which would have been right around 2007, 2008. At that time, we were looking for the ninth purchase, but we couldn't find anything that made financial sense. So it was at a local real estate meetup that somebody brought up the idea of small apartment buildings, uh, which turned out to be a godsend for us because it allowed us to 1031 exchange out of houses into small apartments. For example, the very first unit we ever bought was on Norris Drive. Uh, we bought it for 107. We uh, sold it for 263 about three years later. Uh, so more than doubled in three years to tell you how hot the market was when we started. And then we moved it into a five unit apartment building, which actually rented for 3X. So it, rent was about three grand, uh, where rent on the house was 1,000 or 1,100. Uh, but it cost 223 instead of 265. So the numbers were just much better because everybody in 2007 and 2008 wanted a house. Lending was super easy countrywide. All these people were giving liar loans and just toxic stuff. Um, so what we did during the end of the first phase is we got out of houses and, and went into uh, small apartments. So we went from eight units to 80 um, via 1031 exchange. So no new capital, um, just regular commercial financing. And then the crash happened. And uh, we, you know, we were safe because we were in apartments that were cash flowing like uh, very well. Uh, our net worth probably went down because everything went down, but we were we were investing for cash flow, so we were fine. Uh, during the crash, uh, that's kind of the second phase. Uh, then we come in and realize that there's all kinds of deals everywhere, but no banks would lend to us. So we went to hard money first, which is really expensive. You know, nine percent, forty percent down, couple of points. So it wasn't very long before that was, you know, too expensive for us. Uh, so we then went private money. We found a lot of people that had money in our network that wanted to invest with us. We, we paid them, frankly, 10% interest only for the purchase price. So we got into a bunch of real estate uh, with nothing down. We just, we agreed to pay 10% uh, interest. So we all, all we had to do was fund repairs, which we did out of uh, closing or out of our cash flow and our W-2 jobs. So during the crash, um, we went from 80 to about 150 units. So we added 70 units, lots of houses, lots of duplexes, even more commercial stuff. We bought another 18. We bought some 10s because when it crashed, everything crashed. Um, then the third phase, we, we took a pause uh, because uh, it was weird. The hedge funds came in like in 2012 or 13 and everything changed overnight. And it was just weird. We didn't really know what was going on. Uh, and then, you know, the seller market began again and everything went up and stuff doubled and tripled and quadrupled. And um, eventually the wife retired and then then I retired at right about 175 units. Now we're just repositioning debt, right? We're taking, we're laddering up some, some small apartments like fourplexes and paying off houses. So we have, you know, we're just moving debt around at this point. But cash flow funds our existence. We don't live flashy or anything, but you know our our monthly expenses, living expenses, going out to eat, all that stuff's paid for. So it allows us the ultimate freedom, and um, it's it's kind of a nice feeling. That's amazing. Like I said, I think you're the only person I know that has this many properties or this many doors in their own name. Yeah. Versus 
like other people, they say they have a thousand units, but yeah. that's all part of a syndication. Yeah, it's it's in entities, but it's our entities. Yes. Yeah. No no partners, no JVs, nothing. Just all us. So it seems like, you know, people will say when the down market happens, there's people who are able to take advantage of that and like just go all in. Seems like you guys definitely saw that and you definitely went all in. But now that we're in kind of like a seller's market, things are more expensive. Even in Fresno, things are pretty expensive. So what would someone do to emulate that and replicate your success? Well, I've I've been buying in lots of markets and uh, I'm still buying today. In fact, in the last 10 business days, I've closed 20 units. Um, wow, congrats. Yeah, in Fresno? In Fresno, yeah, it's the only market I know. Um, you know, 15 of those units are long-term buy and hold. Um, I basically picked up uh, a landlord who wanted out, so we did owner financing. Uh, the short story is he sold me a portfolio worth 1.3 for 900K. All he asked for was 100K down and uh, 5% interest for 20 years fully amortized. No points, no appraisals, no inspections, nothing. Uh, we put that deal together inside of 14 or 15 days. Um, so that works. You know, you know, we'll add probably, I don't know, conservatively another $1,000 in cash flow from that deal once we kind of manage the tenants, because I'm sure some of them will have to go. Uh, but we also added about 400K in net worth to our uh, balance sheet. So yeah, you can still do deals today. And then another one was uh, I just closed yesterday was three houses on one street actually even the same side of the street, but but not next door to each other. It's kind of weird. It's like a house here and then a house here and then a house over here. Um, that one was from a wholesaler, actually a friend of mine who I usually compete with. Um, didn't have any cash when, he, when this deal came up and he said, hey, if you want it, it's yours. So I picked it up and uh, I will look to uh, fully remodel them and then likely flip those. I'll probably sell those to other investors when I'm done. How are you typically finding deals if you're a pure Mountain View? So the first 15 years, um, all MLS. I bought two deals before I retired, not out of the multiple listing service or MLS or realtor.com or whatever that is for you. One of them was during the peak of the crash. I bought on a, a, a property off auction.com. And the other one I bought directly from a bank because the bank president saw that I was remodeling a unit next door. And they had just foreclosed. So we knocked on the door where my general contractor was and said, who's the owner? I want to sell them you know, the property next door. So other than two deals, I bought every single one of my properties out of the MLS. In a screaming hot market, in a crash, it doesn't matter. There are deals there. You just have to be creative and, and, and look. Um, I still say when I talk to students today, 99% of the MLS is not for us. It's our job to go find the 1% that is. And of the deals I've done this year, my first three, which were all in January, were all out of the MLS. So it's still still possible. And like, are you looking at the MLS yourself or do you have an agent down there looking for you? Uh, I consider my job to be twofold. One is finding deals and the other is securing capital. So I still look every day. I do have a decent network now that does bring me deals. Uh, and that's something I tell my students is you got to network and go to meetups and all of that because the more people that look the more deals that will cross your plate. Uh, but you know, I don't, I think it's arrogant to sit back and just wait for the phone to ring. So I look all the time. I look at least daily. Uh, and I probably write a dozen offers a week via different agents. Okay. Very cool. And when you say secure capital, you know, you mentioned that you guys, it's just basically you and your wife. So what kind of capital are you looking for? You know, when we started, it was just bank accounts. 
then you know we started doing cash out refinances. Then it was hard money. Then it was private money. Today we're lucky enough to have um, cash flow every month uh, and some assets behind us, so we could go get capital, you know, equity lines and things like that if we need them. But we still use private money occasionally for flips and things of that nature. So we're lucky enough to be in a position where we can finance all the deals ourselves if we have to via cash or equity lines. We still use private money for probably half our deals just because we want to be in and out in six months and, and get a good return. Got it. So you're looking for private money only on your flips, not necessarily for your buy and hold projects. Yep. In today's market, we are only using private money for flips. Yes, buy and hold would likely be owner financing. And I've done owner financing with zero down uh, upwards of the deal I just did, which was 100K down. Nice. And you said that you found everything on the market. So for your apartments, you were probably looking at like loop debt for that? Actually, no. I, I mean, I eventually got there, right? But you know, the first, I didn't look at LoopNet until we had over a hundred doors. It, but remember that was probably was 2008, 2009. LoopNet was just beginning. It was there for sure, but it wasn't the source for commercial properties that it is today. Uh, if I was doing what I did back then today, LoopNet would be a, a better source. Uh, but back then, uh, agents were just putting stuff in the MLS. Yeah, you you could put commercial properties in the MLS. And you got to remember, I was my biggest is 18, right? I didn't buy 132 units or 580 units. That stuff has never been in the MLS. But mom and pop investors still use local brokers, majority. So um, you can you can find 10 units and below pretty easily in your local MLS. And when you're looking at the MLS, what are you kind of looking for? And saying, okay, this is something that I want to pursue. This looks like a good deal to me. Usually, I'm, so it depends on where you are, right? If you're answering that question today, I'm looking for bad listings, actually, right? It could be horrible pictures. It could be square footage that doesn't match bedroom count. One of the favorite things I do in markets like this is I look for listings that say something like this. They're 1,300 square feet or bigger, but they're only two bedrooms, for example. And I go, wow, you know, I have I have two bedrooms as small as 750 feet, right, in my apartments. So if this is a 1,350 square foot house, I wonder if the layout is such a way where I can create a third bedroom. Now, why do I want to do that? Simple, because I'm a landlord and I know there are three things that drive rents. One is bedroom count, one is bathroom count, and the other is parking. So if I can buy a two bedroom, and with $2,000 or $3,000, create a three-bedroom or heaven forbid, a four-bedroom, I will do that all day long because two bedrooms sell for less than three bedrooms and sell for less than four bedrooms. And it's really not that expensive if you find somebody with a huge you know, family living room connected um, to just add a wall and a closet, assuming it's 100 square feet, it has egress, meaning a window in and out. Uh, in a closet, it, it's not that difficult. So uh, those are things I look for today. Um, the other ones that I look for is stress, meaning uh, if it says probate or if it says out of tone owner or it's had a price reduction, you know, in a, because again, we're still in a pretty good seller's market today. Um, you know, so lots of the clean, pretty smelling stuff will sell. Um, so I want to find the stuff that needs some work, some value add. That's what I look for today. And then do you just buy with cash, do your stuff and then refinance out later? I can I can do that for sure, right? The Burr method. Yeah, it depends on the deal, right? I try owner financing first 
Um, if that doesn't work and if I want to keep it, if I'm going to keep it, then yes, I will likely pay cash. I will invest the dollars or sweat equity and then refi out for sure, which is interesting because I've only been able to get bank loans again the last year or so. Um, you know, there was a eight year period where even if you had a W2 of six figures, a net worth of seven figures, if you owned a lot of real estate, the banks didn't want to lend to you. Um, so I was stuck for a decade almost. Um, but now the banks are lending to us. So we, we refied 60% LTV on some fourplexes, paid off a bunch of houses. So um, it is nice to have bank lending back in our favor. Yeah, it's weird, right? Yeah. Like you guys know what you're doing and you're making more money than most, most people, but they won't give you the loan. Yeah, it was really odd the first time I went to a bank and they almost laughed me out. It was, that was, I felt like I was a criminal or something. It was terrible. Like you, you, we don't invest to you. They actually said, you're part of the problem. I'm like, what? What do you mean I'm part of the problem? Yeah, because you know what you're doing. <laughs> so in terms of your actual like buying criteria, do you have any like set numbers that you want? Like some type of return IRR or rent count or rent dollar value? Yeah, I'll give you both answers. What did I start with? This is again, 2003. Um, I didn't know any better. All the books I read was the 1% rule, which meant that if the house cost 100 grand, it had to rent for 1,000. That's what I used for probably the first eight years of our, our investing journey. I realized that that's a little short-sighted it doesn't, it doesn't account for any, uh, all the variables. So now what I look for is an 8% return on any cash invested. And what I mean by cash invested, it's down payment, repair costs, closing costs. I want to make sure that, you know, the money that I put out is coming back to me plus 8%. So 8% is, is, you know, basically the other, the numerator is expected, uh, cash flow, uh, per month times 12 in, uh, hints per year. So I look for 8% in today's hot market. That's net, right? Yep. Yeah. Net cash flow. Yep. So I was wondering, since you're investing in Fresno, there are some parts that are really good and there are some parts that are pretty hood. Yeah. <laughs> well said. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I heard it's like a checkerboard, right? Uh, I haven't heard of, oh, this part is really bad. This part's pretty good. It's kind of like you have to know yep. that market very, very well. So mm -hmm. what did you do to gain that experience to understand those pockets of good versus hood? Uh, so I've been there... I mean, there was a time we were going up there seemingly every other week. Um, but but also part of the ground, part of this process I tell my students is you got to build a, a virtual team, right? You got to get boots on the ground. I was never going to live in Fresno. Uh, we have considered it now that we're retired, we may, uh, but that's not part of the part of our, our journey. Uh, you just got to build a team and you have to ask everyone that you talk to uh, because where one person thinks is great, another person thinks is terrible. I ended up creating a rule uh, that said, am I willing to have my wife drive up to this area, part of Fresno by herself during the day, get out of the car, go into a vacant home? Uh, is it, am I secure enough to let her do that safely? If the answer is yes, I'm willing to put my money there. If the answer is no, then I'm not going to put my money there. Um, so that became the criteria all of my team members used. And, and um, you know, it, it probably held off some good deals. But I just I didn't need to be in that part of the hood, uh, to use your phrase. Um, so I had to be comfortable. It's interesting that you said that you wanted her to be able to be safe during the day, but yeah. not necessarily at night, huh? I uh, that's a different story. <laughs> that's too much, right? It'll it'll, it'll wipe off half the city. Of half the city. Yeah, you don't want to worry about. It. Yeah, definitely daytime. I pay people, man. I pay property managers to manage my stuff. <laughs> So talking about boots on the ground and having a very trusted team. So how are you finding these team members? 
Oh gosh, that took for, that took more longer than it should have. I wish I had a good answer there. Uh, first answer is we fired the first five teams we had. Um, you know, my job because I I ran teams, managed people all over the world for my day job. Um, I knew how to set expectations, track performance. You know, give them a chance, and if they don't improve, let them go. So I did that, and, and I should say we did that, and. Um, it took a while to find a team that, you know what, if you tell them what you want, gave them feedback, managed to expectations, had, you know, weekly meetings and phone calls and all of this stuff. Um, once you, once you get that team and you're in a rhythm, life gets so much easier, but it does take work. The first five years were rough, even, even though we didn't have a lot of units, right? We probably had, I don't know, eight or nine units by the end of five years and, um, you know, firing a property manager, getting a new one doing new leases. It's just a pain in the ass. Um, so you just got to test, you got to test people, ask for referrals, go to local meetups. But again, your job, if you're going to use a property manager is to set expectations and track performance. And you need to treat that like a job. You know, after a couple of years of good performance, you can let off the reins a little bit, but they are the most vital aspect of your team because they're going to be the ones interacting with your tenants. They're going to be the ones calling out jobs, um, you know, they're basically the face for your business. So, um, you know, it's your job to manage them and, and you should, tr and you should take it seriously. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned also that you spent the first couple of years going to Fresno pretty often and kind of like getting your own boots on the ground. Yep. And you said you went to local meetup groups. Did you actually go to meetup groups in Fresno as well? I have. Yeah. Yeah. They were, uh, I think they were Mondays at five 30 or something. Yeah. Yep. So you would take like days off to go there. Oh, uh, well, I worked in sales, so I wouldn't necessarily call them days off. My, I did some of my work from the phone. And if you could do work from your phone and your computer, it could be, I could be working anywhere. So I didn't technically take a day off. I don't, I may have taken a day off here and there, but no, I often just did my job from Fresno. Okay, perfect. Sounds good. And having to go through five whole teams, I mean, I'm sure that was like, that's a lot, you know, I don't oh, think I fired horrible. that many people before. So I'm sure you have some great horror stories. Would you like to share anything? Well, I mean, there's just all kinds, right? I mean, I remember one property manager, um, essentially, you know, we never took him to court, but basically lied to us about how money was being spent. Um, they got caught because they tried to hit us up for a new water heater twice on the same building uh, within a like a four month period. Um, and that's just not, even if it was true, it'd be under warranty and we wouldn't have to pay for it again. But that was, uh, you know, that, that was a non-starter. Another one, um, we, we always did surprise inspections, especially in the beginning, uh, came by when they told us, uh, was fired when they said a building or house was rented and it wasn't right. When we found out, when we went there, there was, it was just a bad situation. Another one seemed to work out for a couple of years until we got bigger. Uh, and then the real estate crash happened and suddenly they weren't giving us the level of service we had come to expect because they were doing lots of short sales and REOs. So suddenly their focus wasn't on property management. It was on selling real estate. Um, you know, so there's lots of stories like that. So that's why I tell people, if you want to find a good property manager, find a property manager who is an investor. And what I mean by finding a property manager is the owner of the company has to be an investor. I found most of my pain. Uh, and again, this is just my experience from property managers who were part-time property managers, right? They were real estate brokers here and they were property managers here, or they were property managers and they were lenders. 
anybody with a with a focus that wasn't 100 on property management eventually the the environment's going to change something will become more important and property management will just become secondary because it's the hardest job being a good property manager is crazy hard dealing with people and contractors and in people's life events and it's just it's it's a you couldn't pay me to be a property manager frankly so um it's a hard job yeah i mean my dad's a property manager and i've seen the pain he's gone through and that's why i will not take over his business when he's done no chance sell that thing dad <laughs> sell that thing dad you know i have properties over in jacksonville florida and i mean i follow the one percent rule so i'm still relatively new as well um, but it's worked pretty well. My property manager loves being a property manager and he is an investor himself. So there you go. he has that investor mindset. Exactly. So you mentioned that you have some students, like mm -hmm. what kind of things are you teaching them and what kind of tips do you give oh. investors? Yeah. So I guess there's kind of three answers to that. So I have a YouTube channel called one rental at a time where I post daily videos about real estate investing. Uh, I started that right about a month after I left because I needed something to do. I frankly was bored um, and I almost went back and got a job. It was, it was crazy, but I found that if I just took the time and, and recorded videos and, and gave back that I felt better. So that's the first thing I do. That's free uh, again, called one rental at a time. Second is I wrote that book I mentioned earlier called one rental at a time. It's basically a full documentation of our history. It's meant to create belief and confidence in full-time employees that yes, you can take control and learn a market and be in a better financial position. And then just recently, like the last 10 days, uh, I released a course online course on teachable called how to start one rental at a time. Uh, it's, it's like eight hours of content, five steps. It's how to learn a market, how to understand the numbers, how to build a team, how to set goals, manage expectations. It's basically everything we did in the first five years, right in an online course. And I'm giving it away for almost nothing. Uh, it's $99 and it's, it's worth thousands of dollars. Uh, I'm doing it because I want to help a thousand people get started. Um, you know, the rest of my life, I want to do two things. I have two big goals. The first one is I want to create stuff that outlives me by a hundred years. So I think the book and I think the YouTube channels and, and podcasts like yours have every chance of outliving me by a hundred years. So I'll be doing these as long as I can. And the other is I want to help a thousand people start or take their next step. So for a year, it was hard for me to understand how to do that, right? How do I track a thousand people, right? My YouTube channel has nearly 2000 people. Now the book's been sold over a thousand times, but it's still, it's like, I, I can't really count that. So I broke down, I spent 90 days creating a, a, a course that I'd be proud of. And then I put it up on Teachable with over eight hours of content that I'm still adding to. And now I'm just counting those students. So every student that signs up and spends 99 bucks, I'm counting that on my goal of a thousand. And it's just started. It took 90 days to create. It's been out there 10 days or so. So um, I'm finding lots of ways to give back. Like just three days ago, I created a private Facebook group for people who are students so we can all be a safe place and ask questions and learn together. So um, giving back and helping people is a lot of fun. And uh, I hope to be doing that for a long time to come. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, it's funny, like some people would think $99 is way too much money, but in reality, that's like one nice dinner. 
yeah here in the bay right you know one nice dinner with you and your wife yeah it's already 99 dollars, and this will save you five years of headache yeah i actually had coaches tell me i should charge 495 or 497 or whatever silly numbers like that and like guys you're not you're not you're not listening i don't need the money i i want to recoup my costs because it does cost to host and all this other stuff so i don't want to i don't want to lose money so that's why I chose $99. And really why I chose it was because it's going to be less than one month cash flow. That's why I chose it. I'm trying to help you buy your first cash flow rental. And I wanted it to be less than the cash flow, one month of cash flow. So that's why $99. So are you trying to have them also buy in Fresno too? Or are you just saying, hey, here's a concept you can buy anywhere in the country? I created it under the guise of uh, lots of people I talk to want to invest out of state or out of area. So I created the course about how do you learn a market you've never been to? Mm. Like when I chose Fresno, I drove, I drove through Fresno once to go to Yosemite when I was 13. So I knew no one. I didn't have a team. I had never been there. I still have never spent the night in Fresno. Um, so I created a course where if I if if you take my course, you should be able to learn Dallas, Texas, Cleveland, Miami, Florida, or Fresno. It doesn't matter. I wanted to serve the need of busy professional, thirty minutes to sixty minutes a week, any city in in the U.S. So that's what I did. That's amazing. I think most of my listeners actually fall into this exact category. Most of them are Bay Area professionals who are trying to get into real estate investing and like. This podcast gives them many different options, whether it be flipping homes, buying rentals, or investing passively in syndications. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a need that's out there, and um, if you you know if you want to change your life, if you want to pick up one new skill of buy and hold landlording, buy and hold rentals, uh, this course is going to save you years and, and tens of thousands of dollars in headaches. And again, it, it can be used for any market, anytime. All right, if you learn how to do it. It, it, the skill is going to be valuable in 10 years. The skill is transferable to any city. It's not like, you, it's not like the, you have to learn new things to invest in Dallas versus Cleveland. It's the same skill. You know, I'm just giving you the control over your own future. Yeah. I mean, learning how to manage people remotely is a huge challenge. Mm -hmm. And I, want to, I was wondering, how did you choose Fresno in the first place? Ah, there's a good question. Uh, so like, like everybody, when they start out, every real estate book I, I read, again, this is 2003, said invest in your backyard, which most often is translated to within 30 minutes of your home. So I believe that for a year. Uh, however, there's never been a property that I found after a year, every Sunday, uh, looking around our, our, our house in Mountain View. So we had a meeting around the kitchen table after a year, 52 weekends. And what so basically, what are we going to do? We could either overpay and get one rental, uh, or we could look out of area. And what we ended up doing was pulling out a California map and drawing circles, right? 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, two hours. And Fresno was the first city of size that made sense, may, basically hit the 1% rule. Now, of size is important. Uh, I didn't feel comfortable investing in a city with 20,000 people, right? That had no real employment other than it was a bedroom community somewhere. Fresno, when I started, had half a million people. Today, it's almost a million people. So I wanted a big city. Uh, so that's, that's why Fresno. 1% rule, and it was a big city. And I could drive there.
What kind of industry is in Fresno? I don't actually don't know that much. Yeah, it's mainly agriculture. Um, the average income is just below sixty thousand uh, dollars. However, the average house is two hundred grand, so you can live there fairly well on fifty thousand dollars a year. It's it is mainly ag, some government work, some light technology, lots of truck. Now today, a lot of trucking and warehousing, because Fresno can get to L.A. and the Bay Area uh, inside a day. So a lot of next day shipping kind of stuff. So what kind of rents are people looking for, or what kind of rents do you? typically get for a home that's worth $200,000. Yeah. So I just, um, I'm just flipping a house. It'll be done next Friday. Uh, it's a three bedroom, one bath, um, call it 1250 square feet, uh, renting it for 1100 and selling it for 155. There's a two house combo, meaning two houses side by side. I'm selling for 250, uh, that rents for 2100 or 2150, I think. Uh, and then there's a triplex that I'm selling for 225 that rents for 2100 or 2150 again. Not quite the 1% rule, but but pretty close, uh, especially given they're fully remodeled, right? No headaches, new roofs, new windows, new paints, new floors, new kitchens, new baths. And they probably hit that 8% cash on cash after all said and done. Uh, they will probably hit 6% for new investors. Yeah, 6 okay. to 7%. They won't hit 8, I don't think. So it's interesting that you have a 3-1. Um, you know, here in the Bay, if you have a three, one, that thing is going to sit for a long time. People yeah. usually don't like having one bathroom, yeah. but I guess in Fresno, it's a uh, acceptable. Well, again, I don't know that it's ideal for sure. Um, you know, but again, if I had a, just for example, so a three run rents for 1100, a three, two would be 1250. Right. Oh, okay. So it's all based on rent. Right. So again, three things drive rents, bedroom count, bathroom count, and parking. Is it garage? carport or street parking. So a 3 one, 1100, 3 2, 1250. You know, um, a 3 one, no parking, a thousand. right? So uh, you get to learn all these variables. So a 3 one is not you know extremely nice, but again, it's a rental for someone and it'll be a rental for a long time, right? It's gonna have new baths, new kitchens, new floors. it's it's um, you know it's gonna be basically a brand new house from roof to floor. So um, somebody's going to, you know, some landlord's going to love that place for the next 20 years. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. And no headache because a new, everything, new property. Right. So yeah. you don't have to worry about like bad roof and bad water heater and whatnot. Nope. Already put on a $10,000 roof, already got an $800 water heater, brand new. So yeah, all new stuff. Awesome. Are there any intricacies about Fresno in particular that, you know, you probably know since you've been there for so long that mm -hmm. we wouldn't know since we have no idea about it. Um, we, the Bay area don't know about it. Yeah. Uh, well, you, I mean, you probably wouldn't know about it unless you lived in Fresno. Yeah. So I think, um, well, first off, we're not, it's not, Fresno is not a technology hub, right? So in the Bay area, everybody's on their iPhones all the time and we're every, everything's an app and all of that. Um, I would still say half my tenants pay with checks or cash. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. it's, it's, uh, you know, there's payment uh, online payments is just starting there. Um, and it may be, you know, maybe it's a year or two behind. Uh, the other thing that's interesting, I guess, when I think about it is Fresno's really didn't have the tech crash. Remember early two thousands, the dot com crash Fresno sure. sailed through that unscathed because it didn't have a tech industry just kept on, kept on, kept on, keeping on. Um, 
The other thing is it's it's a large city. That's what that what I would tell you is most people don't respect Fresno for just the sheer size. It's almost a million people. It's the fifth largest city in California. It's bigger than Sacramento. Um, it's the largest city not on the coast, and um, you know you can still live there comfortably on fifty or sixty grand a year. So I think you know the other thing is is August is hot. <laughs> it's a hundred degrees in August all the time. <laughs> So yeah. every house has an air conditioning unit as well. I would say 90% of them have AC. Some of the older ones have what's called a swamp cooler, which is basically just condensed water that really doesn't do much when it's 100 degrees because the water is already too hot. Oh my goodness. That's, that's yes. horrifying. It is bad. <laughs> I have a quick question about your book. You know, your mm-hmm. book, One Run All the Time, was basically your like autobiography about mm-hmm. your phase through these four phases. Um, yep. How long did it take you to write that book? Uh, so it took about uh, 250 hours to write, but it took about 500 hours to edit. I went through two different <laughs> New York editors um, because, A, I don't write well, right? I'm not a great student. But it was also important for me to keep my voice because it was our story. So there was some back and forwards with editors trying to make sure uh, the book stayed ours and it wasn't completely ripped apart by you know some person i never met so it took a lot longer to edit than write nice i think again you're probably the first person that i've talked to that's actually written their own book so it's very impressive to see that and i'll definitely pick it up there you go i'm I'm gonna get a copy i'm gonna get a copy there you go (laughs) so besides your youtube channel you know what do you do full-time now you're retired you're giving back how do you spend your day uh, so I'm a morning person and my wife is not. So I'm up by 6.30 every day without an alarm clock. Uh, I spend probably the first two hours of my day um, re- responding to students uh, via the Facebook page, creating my daily video. I do create one video a day at least. Um, and I walk my dogs in the morning. Uh, then my wife gets up. Uh, we typically either go for our walk or go to the gym come home, shower, clean up, whatever that's like, go to lunch together every day. Uh, then the afternoon's ours to do what we want with. Um, you know, that's the beauty of, of doing what we want. We can go walk around the malls. We can go to a movie. We can watch the Warriors play basketball. Uh, it, it is ours. But I do all of my coaching and helping. I try to get all of that done by 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, wow. So, you know, it's out of the way. It doesn't, it doesn't interfere with our day. It's awesome that you have so much quality time that you can just do whatever you want with. I mean, that's the beauty of real estate. It gives you that freedom to do whatever you yeah. want. Yeah. And again, I think it's I think it's imperative, right? The reason I wrote the book, do this YouTube channel, and now this course is I believe real estate investing tests people. I believe it tests you for the first 10 years. And by tests, meaning bad things, right? Eviction, stuff breaking, just all of that nonsense. And But if you survive 10 years, the rewards are huge, right? I left the workforce at 45. So conservatively speaking, I bought 20 years of freedom. What's 20 nice. years worth? And I didn't even start till I was 30. Just imagine what would happen if I started if I was 20. Oh, I could only imagine. So um, that's why I want to help people start. And the, the younger you are, right? These, these skills I teach in my ridiculously priced course will change your life forever. This is a question I want if you're going to do the homework, right? And, and I smack you with it, right? The very first course, the first section is 
let's do some homework. Let's learn a market together. Get online. Let's start looking for criteria. And, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, I, I hope there's lots of people in their twenties that pick this up and go, uh, because real estate investing can, can buy freedom, right? Conservatively speaking, I got 20 years to do whatever I want. It's yeah. I'm, I'm blessed, lucky, whatever you want to call it. The earlier you start, the better off you are for sure. No question. Perfect. So that's all the questions I have for you today. Do you have any final thoughts or final comments you'd like to say to everybody? No, I would just like to say um, real estate investing works. It, it, it will test you as we've just shared. Um, it's not, it's, I believe flipping and wholesaling while sexy uh, leads to great chunk money, but it is just another job, right? If you spend a lot of time talking to folks like Sean and I do, uh, the people that are good at flipping and wholesaling, it's a job. They may be the CEO, but it's still a job. If you want freedom that we've talked about on this show, the only way to do that is with mailbox money, hiring a property manager, having a couple of phone calls a month, right? Because it's not truly, truly 100% passive, um, but it provides the best freedom. Buy and hold real estate, especially if you're a Silicon Valley busy professional, you've got no freaking time. The last thing you want to do is have another job of flipping or wholesaling. So figure out a market, do the homework, make some good investments, and take the control of your future. Even if you only get four, your life's going to be so much better off in, in 10 or 20 years. Um, and if, if, if I can help be a spark or create inspiration via my free stuff on YouTube or the book, so be it. Um, I'm just trying to give back every day. Perfect. So you hear that, everybody? If you want to have that financial freedom and get extra years towards your life, start investing in rentals as soon as you can. So, Michael, thank you so much for being on the show today. How can people get in contact with you? The best way to get a hold of me is to go to my YouTube page. It's just one rental at a time. Uh, it's actually www.youtube.com slash one rental at a time. Uh, that's the best way. Just leave comments. I actually do subscriber questions on my channel. So if you ever have a question, just go to any of my videos, go to comments, leave your question. I'm a one-man show, so um, I answer the questions usually within 48 hours. So that's the best way. Perfect. Thank you so, so much. I think everyone has learned so much about you know putting your money where you can get that passive mailbox money. My friend calls it pajama money because he doesn't do anything. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can do whatever you want. You could spend the time the way you want it and not have to be, you know, on someone else's someone else's beck and call. Yes, sir. All right. So thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Here are some of the key takeaways from today's episode. Cash flowing rentals are the way to go. Other types of investing are great, but they're still a job. Once you figure out a system for creating a trusted boots on the ground team in one area, you can replicate that in another area. It only takes four rentals to achieve financial freedom. So start as early as you can. The first 10 years are the trial years where you're going to make mistakes and you might lose money. But after that, you'll achieve a lifestyle that most people can only dream about. So get started early. Michael will actually be guest speaking at our meetup event on May 28th. You can register for the event at meetup.com slash S-V-R-E-I-M. And go ahead and check out his YouTube channel, One Rental at a Time. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N-R-E-A-L-T-Y at gmail.com. 
Thanks and have a great day.